Good morning, TCC. My name is Katie Unger, and I've been attending TCC for around eight years now. Um, I'll be reading Galatians 5, verse 16 to 26. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking, and envying each other. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Katie. Well, as you might imagine, this has not been an easy week. And uh, I just want to take a moment to thank you for your support and prayers. As we said one last goodbye to my dad on Thursday, these flowers are in memory and in honor of him. Now, we did consider, uh, you're wondering, why, why after laying your dad to rest on Thursday, why in the world would you be preaching on Sunday? Well, we did make, uh, consider some changes to our preaching schedule, but I honestly felt that like in doing that, it just kind of sets off the dominoes of other changes. And quite frankly, I really just wanted to preach today. I thought maybe just staying in some rhythm and routine would be important. Uh, the truth is, is that when people pray, and you are the one being prayed for, the Holy Spirit does this work that is pretty much imperceptible, but you kind of know that something is happening. I believe you prayed for our comfort, and we were comforted by the Spirit. You prayed for strength, and we have experienced the Spirit's strength. You see, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, has been, in fact, an empowering presence in this week. And His power and peace has been so real to us, and so it actually feels a little strange. But there's no doubt in my mind that God answered your prayers, and I want to say thank you. Well, back in May and June when Pastor Adam was on his sabbatical, I was giving leadership in his absence to this Tuesday morning 6 a.m. men's prayer. Did I say 6 a.m.? Yeah, 6 a.m. And that really just meant taking care of some of the details. Sending out a weekly um, reminder on Monday, just reminding those that usually attend that this is happening, setting up the coffee, grinding the beans, etc., setting the timer, showing up early enough then just to set up the computer and microphone for those that would attend online, unlocking the doors, grabbing the coffee and the mugs and putting it in the conference room so that the guys would have fresh coffee first thing in the morning. Well, on one particular morning, I had done all this, and I came in, and the coffee maker was on, but there was no coffee. Now, of course, 
um, in my panic, I automatically assumed that there was something wrong with the coffee maker. I was looking at the screen, and there was a strange icon that I didn't recognize, and I had an X on it. And I thought, was there some weird setting that, I, that was changed? Did it need to be cleaned? But it was so frustrating, but it was just too late to make any fresh coffee. Well, after everyone left, I checked it again. I mean, it was a fairly new coffee maker. Was it already broken? You know, did someone change a setting? I took the pot off the element, and it was hot. I almost burned my hand on it. Something was so weird. Something was off. So I dig out the manual, and I start flipping through. I'm trying to figure out, what does this icon mean? Did it, did it somehow shut off? Is it plugged? What, what's going on? And then it dawned on me. You know what I did, didn't you? I didn't add any water the night before. Totally forgot. <laughs> I guess why this came back to memory is this past Monday I did it again. <laughs> and I called Pastor Adam over and asked if there was any trouble with the coffee maker. And he just casually walked up and said, oh, you need to add water. <sighs> it was pretty embarrassing. But you know, as I was thinking about this message, it dawned on me that there's actually a spiritual lesson in not adding water to the coffee maker and then getting frustrated and blaming others when there's no coffee. I think we think that we're doing all the things, all the right things to help us become more like Jesus. And so we regularly engage in teaching or scripture reading. We engage in prayer and in community. We find time for silence and solitude and other spiritual practices. But we don't see the results that we expect. And we get frustrated that all of our effort doesn't seem to be enough. But what if, just like trying to make coffee without water, we're trying to live the Christian life without the empowering of the Holy Spirit? What if it's all about our efforts without depending on the Holy Spirit for the results? Maybe today you can identify with that a little bit. Maybe you're feeling pretty discouraged with your own Christian walk. Maybe even a little overwhelmed and tired because you think you're doing all the right things. Well, I pray that this message is an encouragement and a hope for you. Each September, we take a few Sundays to talk about who we are as a church and what we're about. And so this fall, we're just taking two Sundays to not only introduce or perhaps reintroduce TCC to you, but we are also setting up our fall series of messages as well. We've simply called it The Way, which will be a series in which we study the Ten Commandments. Last week, Pastor Adam walked us through Psalm 1, which teaches us that the key to walking in the way is by immersing our minds and our hearts in Scripture. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he gave them the Ten Commandments to show them the way to life. This is what we want to explore and discover this fall. But first, let me just take a few minutes to introduce to you who TCC is. You see, at our core, TCC is about the great commandment and the great commission. Jesus, when asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law, answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he continues right away. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And so in essence, he was answering the question of what is the greatest commandment. 
But then he quickly adds, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now you can read this exchange between Jesus and an expert in the law for yourself in Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. But simply put, our heart as a church is to love God and to love others. We don't always do it perfectly, but we do want to do it passionately. And so then our vision is simply stated like this, to see everyone at TCC passionately walking with Jesus and joyfully serving others. You see, we just demonstrate our love for God and love for others in action. And this isn't an obligation that we feel constrained by, that it feels like a weight and a burden. No, we we do it out of love, out of love for God and our love for others. Now, just as a little aside, when we do get to the Ten Commandments starting next week, the first four, in fact, are about loving God. And then the second, or the second group of six, are about loving others. But more on that in coming weeks. What we talk most often about at TCC is our mission. Simply to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and to share Jesus. We see this as another way of expressing the Great Commission, which Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, said it like this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, we take this commission seriously, and we make it our mission then to make disciples who make disciples. And a disciple is simply a follower of Jesus, someone who apprentices under Jesus in order to become like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. So discipleship, when we use that, fra- that, that word, then is the intentional process of becoming more like Jesus. Spiritual formation, or sometimes formation, are other words for discipleship. If you are here last week, you may recall Pastor Adam throwing up this discipleship framework based on a working theory of change first developed by Dallas Willard. This diagrams the process for us. As individuals, we follow Jesus and become more like him when we intentionally engage with teaching, community, and practices, all empowered by the Holy Spirit over time. You see, becoming more like Jesus takes time. In fact, it takes a lifetime. And it takes intentionality. It takes and involves engaging in teaching. It involves engaging in community and relationship with other believers and in spiritual practices. But ultimately, if we do all of those things without the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, we will not see the spiritual formation that we so desire like trying to make coffee without water, trying to become more like Jesus without the Holy Spirit will lead to frustration, burnout, and discouragement. And so this morning, I want to just focus a little bit on what does it mean to live a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit? Well, Scripture, thankfully, has a great phrase that I think we can so easily wrap our minds around, where, he, where Paul especially uses this phrase, walking by the Spirit, or walking in the Spirit. And so I invite you to turn to the passage that Katie read for us earlier. It's Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. 
And in verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and if you do this, he says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I think walking is such a great picture of the Christian life. And so when we talk about walking with Jesus as being part of our mission, we really see it as a metaphor for practical daily living. The Christian life is a journey. God has made a way. There is a path for us to walk on. And we're, in fact, then to walk it out as we live out our faith. Now, we should never think that the Christian life is easy. Those of you who walked with, have been walking with Jesus for a while, I'm sure, can attest to this. You know that the demands are great, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed. I mean, throughout the Bible, we're told that a follower of Jesus is to walk in good works, Ephesians 2.10, to walk properly, Romans 13.13, 13, to walk in faith, 2 Corinthians 5.7, to walk in love, Ephesians 5.2, to walk worthy of the Lord, Colossians 1.10, to walk worthy of our calling, Ephesians 4, verse 1, and to walk then ultimately as Jesus walked, 1 John 2.6. Therefore, walk, in fact, implies effort. I think it involves intentionality. You see, we don't become more like Jesus by sitting passively in church or somehow through osmosis just gathering other believers around us and thinking that it's going to rub off on us. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, continue to work out your salvation. Jerry Bridges, an author, uses this great phrase, dependent discipline. Dependent on God to do his part, but we then exercise discipline and do our part. And if you think of the physical task of walking, when you take a step, with each step you are depending on your muscles and your legs to do the work that it's intended to do. So we walk and we depend. We walk and we depend. Now, another reason walking by the Spirit is hard is because the world, the flesh, and the devil all work against us. You see, as we studied John's letters this past summer, we repeatedly saw how the world stands in opposition to the way of God, and how the devil, our enemy, stands in opposition to the believer. And so here in Galatians, Paul makes it clear that in verse 17, he says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. See, Paul acknowledges here that this Christian life is in fact a struggle, a literal war between flesh and the spirit to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So in fact, the struggle is real. Not only does the follower of Jesus walk by the Spirit, verse 18, they're also led by the Spirit. And the verb used here implies an active, personal involvement by the Holy Spirit in guiding believers. And the present tense 
it would literally be translated, if you are being led by the Spirit, indicates that this is an ongoing activity. It's continually taking place in our lives. Now, Paul makes sure that there's no doubt what the acts of the flesh look like. He says they are obvious. He calls them acts of the flesh or works of the flesh. And these are actions that flow out of a fallen human nature and its desires. Again, uh, apart from the active transforming work of the Holy Spirit, these are the actions toward which sinful humans will naturally gravitate towards. And it's an ugly list. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Even hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. And then Paul just kind of, I think, throws this little catch-all in the middle of all of this selfish ambition which often cause dissensions and factions and envy. There's also drunkenness, orgies and the like. And then he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's heavy. But I think it helps to understand when he says, when they live like this, He's talking about those who make this way of life a practice. That this is just part of who they are and who they've become. When you think about our culture or the world, we can certainly see how we're drawn to that. So much of what we, we take in in media is addressing some of these very things. And that is why we need to use discernment and to be aware of the kind of things that we're exposing ourselves to. But in contrast to these acts of the flesh, we have what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul goes on in this passage to say, verse 22, that just as there are obvious external evidences that a person is not walking by the Spirit... There are, in fact, external evidences of the internal work of the Spirit of God. And Paul calls this the fruit of the Spirit. Now, Jesus used a similar illustration in Matthew chapter 7 when he made it clear that there is uh, is fruit that will be evident in the lives of his followers. And he says the source of that fruit will either be a good tree or a bad tree. And so as we follow Jesus over time, the Spirit will do His work of transformation in our lives. There will be evidence that we are walking with the Spirit, living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit to say no to the flesh. You see Paul in writing to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This grace, he says, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So the Spirit, he says, teaches us, in fact, to say no to the flesh while at the same time producing in us the fruit of the Spirit. 
Now, just to be clear, we do not produce these qualities ourselves. This is not something that we kind of steal our determination to. This is not something that we just resolve, I'm going to do better in this area. No, this is the Holy Spirit forming Christ in us. And so he says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, and this is perhaps familiar to you, is what? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I won't take a lot of time, but I think it's helpful to just go through that list again and just think a little bit about this. And maybe you can reflect on not only the sins of the flesh this afternoon, but also the fruit of the Spirit and see how it stands in stark contrast. Because love, as he says here, as part of the fruit of the Spirit, is really in contrast to the lust of verse 19. Joy is independent of outward circumstances. Peace in the midst of the storm. Jesus himself said in John 14 verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I give you peace. Forbearance, most often translated patience, right? Anybody make use that expression with their kids? Man, you're really testing my patience right now. But maybe it's a driver on the morning commute. But when God is doing this work of developing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we have this uncanny willingness to accept situations that are irritating and maybe even painful. Talks about kindness, which is really an attitude of tender concern for others. Goodness, the actions which flow from this attitude of kindness, working for the benefit of others, not ourselves. Faithfulness, just this trustworthiness. There's an integrity about our lives. Consistently doing what you say you will do. Gentleness. A willingness to submit to the will of God. Just simply to, to rest in Him. As He invites us to come to Him. And self-control. Which of course means restraining passions and appetites. Resisting the power of the flesh. That's a pretty good list, isn't it? If you think about God forming us and transforming us, and that this fruit is being developed in our lives, that it becomes evidence to others of God's spirit at work in our lives, it's a beautiful thing. But who do you know that has had the fruit of spirit Let's say, ripen to perfection. Who comes to mind? I mean, don't Paul's words describe Jesus himself? Many commentators have suggested that the fruit of the Spirit is, in fact, a portrait of Jesus. That it was he who had all of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And so if the goal of discipleship is to become more like Jesus... We have to posture ourselves in such a way that the Holy Spirit will in fact produce his fruit in us. Now not only is the 
Spirit of God active in our lives when we are in Christ, the follower of Jesus is also active in suffocating the flesh. Paul says in verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, that is who he's writing to. So if you are a believer, you've been given the Spirit of God, he lives within you, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, he says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, by, no, by now, we should know that by flesh, he doesn't mean, you know, the soft tissue that, that covers our bony skeletons. But in fact, he's talking about our fallen human nature that is depraved and infected with self-centeredness. But the Spirit, he, by, by, by the Spirit then, he means the Holy Spirit himself who comes to dwell within us when we're born again and who is able by his indwelling presence and power to subdue our flesh and produce in its place the fruit, his fruit. John Stott writes this about this passage. He says, Here within us, as we know from experience and scripture, are two irreconcilable forces. These forces are antagonistic to one another and are engaged in a fierce tug of war. The flesh that pulls us down and the Holy Spirit who pulls us up, which prevails in this tug-of-war, depends on the attitude we adopt to each. According to Galatians 5.24, we are to crucify the flesh with its affections and desires. He says a highly dramatic figure of speech. It isn't literal, of course, but it means that we are ruthlessly to reject the claims of our fallen nature to rule over us. According to verse 22, we're to walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and surrender day by day to His indwelling power and control. So we crucify the flesh, but we walk in the Spirit. You see, what it really comes down to is which Of these two, the flesh and the spirit, we feed the most. And the one that we feed the most will ultimately win. So we must feed the new spirit within us and literally starve or crucify the old. And in Galatians 6, 8, Paul goes on to write about this and he talks about how we need to sow to the spirit and we only reap what we sow. And so how do we sow to the spirit? Well, how do we walk this out practically? Well, first of all, teaching. This is what we primarily do here on Sundays, but there are many other teaching opportunities as well. And we believe that when we teach the Bible, when we teach the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is actively involved in this element as well. This is far more that's going on here than what sort of meets the eye. This is far more than some person standing up here and saying a bunch of words. Because the Spirit of God takes these words and makes them alive to us, illuminates them, sheds light on them. And when we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit becomes the teacher, the the inward interpreter, a companion, a tutor, 
a private instructor. And so this preaching is really this unique event. And often the Holy Spirit will highlight something for you that is completely different than the person next to you. And sometimes people will say to me after, you know, when you said this, and they'll go on to explain something, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I never said that. But the Holy Spirit has taken that and brought meaning and significance to that person's life. It's really an amazing thing. And so here's how we walk this out. We do commit to regular public worship. To make it part of your Sabbath activity, it's important to sit under the teaching of God's Word. And when we're doing a series of Ten Commandments, don't just catch one and six and nine. Try to catch them all. So that you see the full picture of what God is calling us and the way of life that he's given to his followers and to his people. Maybe in this area of teaching, you want to make sure you read some good Christian books, and I put emphasis on good. Maybe you make yourselves available to Right Now Media. This is a free resource that you can get off our website, and you log in, and it's just this massive database of great teaching. And you can find a topic that you really want to discover more about, and you can do that on your own or maybe with some others as well. But get under some teaching, and before the teaching, pray, God, teach me what I need to hear this morning. And so I pray that when we come to church on Sunday morning like this, or we gather around the TV or a computer screen, we might actually first start by saying, Lord, help me to hear what I need to hear today. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's how we need to approach it, with a desire to learn and to grow and have the Holy Spirit use his word to bring transformation in our lives. But it's not teaching alone, right? It's also community. Because we don't walk with Jesus in isolation from others, we walk with Jesus in the company of others. And as Pastor Adam was sharing the announcements earlier, there really are many options for this at TCC where you can connect with a small group of people in different ways. And they're not all geared simply to, you know, to hardcore Bible teaching. Sometimes it's just walking this out. But knowing that as we gather with other believers, the Holy Spirit is active in the lives of others and we have this shared experience. And when somebody shares a testimony of the activity of God in their lives, it encourages us. And then we look forward to maybe the same in our own lives. You see, while we may come to Christ individually, we walk it out collectively and in community. We do life together. And so Christianity was never meant to be kind of this lone ranger activity. Kind of me, myself, and I. No. And we have to resist that because our culture is one of individualism. It celebrates that. I'm my own person. Do what do you, right? No. Do it in relationship. Do it in community. And understand that the Holy Spirit's activity in our collective lives together is how he's forming and shaping us as a whole and as individuals. And lastly, I draw your attention to some practices. These practices are very specific at times, and they are just ways to intentionally engage in the kind of 
practices, having regular rhythms, rhythms and routines of these practices where the Holy Spirit can be actively transforming our lives. Now, not only is community sort of this aspect of uh, our, our formation, our discipleship, we think in order to actually see it happen, we need to be intentional about it as a practice. And so one of the practices is, in fact, community. We have all sorts of small groups or triads that we encourage you to do with two other uh, people of the same sex. There's home groups and there's community groups. And in those community groups, some are using community guides where Pastor Adam takes the message from that morning and puts it in a one-page resource that can help you either individually, but hopefully more likely in community. And so if you're not in some kind of a small group where you're engaging in um, some of the teaching and and, uh, activities that we've talked about, I want to encourage you, go to the Connect Center today. Talk to Pastor Steve. Put your name down on a list. Say, I want to be involved in a community group because I need to have other believers active in my life. A second practice is the practice of solitude, which really implies silence. But even though you get away in silence and in solitude by yourself, know that you're never alone because the Holy Spirit is there with you. And when we intentionally carve out time in our day, we become attentive to the activity of God in our lives. And we really need to do that on a daily basis. This isn't some kind of mindfulness exercise or something like that but it is sitting by yourself in quiet without the distractions of music or radio or TV or kids or anything else in the background. You're just sitting with you and the Spirit of God. If if that's not a regular practice, try it for five minutes a day. If you're doing five minutes, go for 10 minutes. And if it's 10 minutes, go for 15 minutes. But engage in that practice of silence and solitude and be attentive to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You'll be blown away. I trust, trust me. Now, for those of you who want to take a giant leap, maybe, as Adam already shared, a day away is from 9 till 4 p.m., where you have an own quiet room, where you start in community, you are dismissed to your room, and it's just you, your Bible, and God through the Holy Spirit. And then you come together at 3.30 and you share your experiences of the day. And it's amazing to hear how God meets us in those moments of solitude. A third practice is that of Scripture. Specifically, reading Scripture, meditating on the law day and night. Pastor Adam introduced this to us last Sunday and we made these cards available. If you didn't get this card, it's not too late to jump in. If you missed this first week, it doesn't matter because we've said all along, this isn't a check mark. There's no little box beside that. You don't have to go back to next week and read, you know, last week and read Mark chapter one. Just pick up this card and tomorrow morning read Mark chapter two. And there's instructions on this card on what to do and then what to do over the next few, um, next five days. But immerse yourself in scripture as a daily practice. And of course, prayer. You see, the Holy Spirit is active when we engage in prayer. Now, people sometimes debate when we should have this 
quiet time? You know, should it be in the morning? And some people say, yeah, you got to be fresh. And others like, no, I got too many things on the go. I got to do it in the evening. And I want to suggest to you, why not both? Why not find a practice where you bookend your day? You start it in silence and solitude and in scripture and prayer. And maybe you end it again in silence and solitude and scripture and prayer. But morning and evening. Silence and solitude. Well, and lastly, I'll throw this out there, fasting. As a church, we typically make that a focus during Lent, but you don't have to wait for those 40 days every year to practice fasting. Because fasting is one of those disciplines, one of those practices where we actually exercise our no muscles. Right? It it is putting to death the flesh, so to speak. And so when we say, you know what? I'm not even snacking after supper. That's a start. But maybe for some of you, you eat supper on Wednesday and you don't snack in the evening and you get up in the morning and you don't have breakfast. You spend it with the Lord and you don't have lunch. You spend it in prayer and then you break the fast with dinner on, uh, in the evening, the next day. Try it. You'll like it. It'll be of good benefit to you. Because we start to learn how to say no to the things that are clamoring for our attention. The passions and the desires of the flesh sometimes amongst us. You see, it's through these practices that we grow in grace. And I believe that the Holy Spirit within us then is able to produce this beautiful person made in the image of God who is becoming more and more like Jesus as we pursue holiness together. The key to walking in the way is the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And he is alive and well and active in each of your lives as believers in Jesus Christ. But we need to pay attention. Let's pray. Father, I pray... that we would come today with this desire, maybe a fresh commitment or a renewed commitment to saying we want to become more like Jesus. We, we do want to become disciples of Jesus. We want to apprentice under Jesus, as it were, and so that we, we learn the things that he did and we do those things. Father, our heart's prayer really is that we want to be like him. We want to become more like Jesus. But I pray, Father, that we would not see it as a bunch of religious activities that we put all of our effort into. But that we would see these practices as means of grace as ways that you help us to pay attention to to the activity of your spirit in our lives. That we posture ourselves in such a way that we, yes, we put to death, we starve out and suffocate the flesh that so often wants to rear its ugly head and draw us away and distract us. And we know that we have an enemy that throws temptation before us. 
But I pray, Father, that in those moments we would rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the strength that we need. So, Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.